2: you would think that they would be excited about seeing Jesus. That's not what the Word says. The Word says they were terrified. They were frightened. They, they thought that they were seeing a ghost or a spirit. Jesus says, why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Guys, these are those great men of faith we call disciples. These are those great leaders of, of the early church that man, we put on pedestals and stained glass and statues doubt filled their hearts and fear and hardness of heart. The men that
0: started the early church were just that. They were men. They were flawed, they were weak, and they lacked the wisdom to understand what God was doing. Does that sound familiar? As Pastor David wraps up the book of Luke in today's message, we can take comfort in knowing that God does not require perfect vessels to carry his message. It is Christ that takes these broken vessels and transforms them into complete and capable instruments of his gospel. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, And So It Begins.
2: Well, we've actually come to the end of it all. Okay, the end of the book of Luke, anyway. The fact is, is when you get to the end of Luke, you're actually at the beginning of a new thing. Because as Luke ends, Luke, the writer of the gospel according to Luke, is also the writer of the book of Acts. And so as we get to the end of Luke, we understand that's just the beginning of the coming of the Holy Spirit that's just the beginning of the birth of the church. And as Jesus hung on the cross there on that dreadful day, he proclaimed, It is finished. And for those that were standing there near the cross, those words, as Jesus declared, It is finished, those were words of final defeat. You need to understand that those that were standing there at the cross, their hope, their idea, their plans, their understanding, When Jesus said, it's finished, and died, that was the end of their hope. Everything that they had placed their hope in, their anticipation in, when Jesus declared, it's finished, it was done. It was the finality of their unfulfilled promises. That again, they had hoped, they had planned, they had desired, they had anticipated the coming of God's kingdom in that place, and we, we know that through all the dialogue that they had with Jesus during his entire ministry. And when he hung on that cross on that dreadful day and he cried out, it is finished, the bottom fell out for them. But we need to understand what they didn't understand. We need to see what they didn't see. We need to hear what they didn't hear because the words as Jesus cried out, it's finished, That was actually the words of a pilgrim that's been in a faraway country who is now going home again. Those are the words of, again, the the cry of a victor as he crosses the finish line. It is finished. You ever see a guy as they're crossing the finish line? Man, their hands are up like that. Our Lord's hands were stretched out. Well, when he declared it's finished, it's because he was victorious over sin and over death. It was the cry of a warrior. Literally, as he sees his enemy wholly and thoroughly defeated. No, beloved, that cry of, it is finished, wasn't a a, a negative thing. That was a positive thing. As Jesus hung on that cross that dreadful day, he committed his soul into the hands of the Father because the battle against the enemy had been won. And we still need to understand, though, there's, there's a lot of work yet to be done. There's still a lot of territory that needs to be claimed for the kingdom. But this, the crucifixion and the death of Christ, that was not a final defeat. That was the cry of a victor. It wasn't the end of hope. That was the fulfillment of mankind's greatest need. It wasn't an unfilled promise. It was a purpose design of the one who faithfully promised to us that his kingdom was going to come. And that you and I, as we give our hearts and lives to him, as we surrender our lives to him, we become a part of that kingdom's work. And now, at the death of Christ, his burial, and now his resurrection, which we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, the stage has been set now. It's, it's, it's ready. It was time to put into play the, the balance of the master's plan. The disciples of Jesus, at this point in time, They will be encouraged by the resurrection. They will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they will be commissioned to go forward proclaiming the kingdom's message all throughout the world. All of these things are yet to happen at this point in time. The plan, the call, the commission, they remain not just for the disciples, but do you understand that remains for you and I today too. The plan of God working in our lives. The call of God working in our lives. The commissioning of God working in our lives. That just wasn't for the 12 or the 120 or the 500. No, beloved, that's for the church. And you and I are a part of the church as we come by faith to receive Christ and we have that same call, we have that same commission within our lives. We are to be a part of God's great kingdom work. Now, last week... We looked at the encounter of the resurrected Christ with the two men that were on their way to Emmaus. You remember that. The week before that, we spoke about, again, the women at the tomb. And so we're working our way. We're now at the third and final event that happens in chapter 24 of Luke. Now, again, as we, as we spoke about last week, these two men walking on the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem, going down to Emmaus. They, they, were, they, were, they were filled with hopelessness. They were, they were filled with despair. Their conversation again uh, continued to, to just get deeper and darker as they went. But then they had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And through his word, remember we shared last week how he shared the scriptures with them. He began to, again, explain and open up the scriptures from the writings of Moses, to the writings of the prophets, and even the Psalms, declaring to them the truth. And even as we looked last week, he shared with them these things, and they realized finally, at the end of that day, as he broke bread with them, as he blessed it, that this was truly Christ. That Christ was truly resurrected from the dead. It wasn't just an imagination of the women and a proclamation of what they thought happened. Now they've experienced themselves. And beloved, it's like for you and I. We can hear people's testimonies of the power of God working and moving within people's lives, but until it happens to us, we just can't comprehend the power of that work. We can hear how God is moving and encouraging and strengthening and filling people's lives. And we hear the testimonies of what God has done in other people's lives. But until we truly experience, it's just not the same. And now for these guys, they realize, no, Christ is risen from the dead. Now, we're going to pick up this whole event here in Luke chapter 24. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. We're actually going to pick it up kind of in the middle of the paragraph down in verse 33. Luke 24, beginning down in verse 33. So they, the two men who had been on the road to Emmaus, who Jesus revealed himself, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon." And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. We shared last week again that journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus about seven miles. And it's all downhill from Jerusalem going downhill toward the coast. About a half of a day's journey. Now how long did they take to make that trip down to Emmaus on on the, the original trip there? We don't know. But just out of practicality, when you and I are bummed, when we are depressed, when we're discouraged, when we're defeated, we just don't have a whole lot of energy, do we? I think that that journey probably took almost twice as long as what it normally would. And even though they were going downhill, because again, they, they're, they're, their heart was just overwhelmed. But my guess is, is that coming back even though they were now moving uphill, I think they made a lot better time going uphill. I think they were probably like giddy, you know, school children. But that, that again, they, they found out, man, this great thing. They are so excited. They're so anticipating being able to share their excitement and their joy after they had been filled with fear and dread. Now they have a story to tell, and they had to tell somebody. The room where the disciples were hiding, they were overwhelmed by the events of that day. You need to understand that as the disciples there in that upper room, after everything that had been anticipated, every, all the defeat that they had felt the day of Christ's uh, uh, crucifixion, and then to find out that his body wasn't there in the tomb, they were just filled with questions. They, they were filled with anxiety and fear. And I can just imagine as these two guys from Emmaus, came into that room, they started sharing all that had taken place in them only a short time ago. I believe for the disciples, according to God's word, there was still confusion. There was added doubt and perplexity on this whole thing because they were still filled with fear. But look what happens. Look at verse 36. Now as they, the two guys from Emmaus, said these things to the other disciples hiding out full of fear, full of anxiety there in the upper room. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Shalom, y'all. That's, that's Southern Jewish for uh, peace. And he said, Peace to you. And they were terrified. You need, you need to understand, they, they don't know what's going on. They were terrified and frightened. They supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why, uh, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. No doubt those doors were closed. I believe they were probably bolted. They might have slid the dresser over against the door there. They were hiding out. They were fearful of the Jews and both of the Romans, both of them, because they had been faithful followers of Christ during his ministry. They knew if they would kill the leader that, again, they as disciples, they would soon be the ones to follow after that. They were hiding out in this room. And one would have had to have knocked on the door and maybe given a password to be able to to get in at that point in time. You could not have gotten into that room unnoticed unless you had a resurrected body. And, and I, I love how, again, the, the other passages speak about it. Uh, Mark tells us that they sat at a table, that they were filled with unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Remember I asked you last week, anybody ever doubt your testimony? Anybody ever doubt what God has done in your life and in your your heart? Well, the, as the women came and gave testimony, as these two men came and gave testimony, the balance of the disciples, the word says they were hard-hearted, that they were full of unbelief. And now Jesus is standing right before them and he declares peace to you. And you would think, Bearing in mind the teachings and the warnings of Jesus about what was going to happen in Jerusalem and his continual reminder, but I'm going to be raised on the third day, you would think, bearing in mind the testimony of the women who had been at the tomb earlier that morning and the angels declared, no, he's not here, he's risen, Mary herself having a one-on-one contact with the risen Savior, you would think, bearing in mind the testimony of these two men who had just spoken and walked with Jesus there on the road to Emmaus, you would think that they would be excited about seeing Jesus. That's not what the word says. The word says they were terrified. They were frightened. They, they thought that they were seeing a ghost or a spirit. Jesus says, why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Guys, these are those great men of faith we call Disciples. These are those great leaders of of the early church that we put on pedestals and stained glass and statues. Doubt filled their hearts and fear and hardness of heart. And Jesus standing right before them. And he says, look, look, behold my hands, behold my feet. Uh, It's me, it's me, handle me, go ahead. The spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like, like you see I have. Why would he show him his hands and his feet? Because even with his resurrected body, God the Father saw fit to make certain that the holes of those nails were still there. Still there in his hands, still there in his foot. And even later as Thomas comes in, Jesus says, Thomas, put your hand in my side. The hole even in his side was still there. Some have said that the only thing that is man-made that we will see in heaven... Are the nail prints in the hands of Jesus and in his feet, and the spear from his side, the only thing man made in heaven? It's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder, not, not that we would get bummed out and frustrated, oh man, we did this to the Lord. No, it's a constant reminder of the grace and the mercy of God. But it's also a constant reminder that, that, that we can't do this on our own efforts. We can't uh, obtain salvation of our own initiative. It had to be gained through the cross in order that we might have access to the very throne room of God. It was through the faithful and the loving sacrifice of Christ on our behalf that we now have access to the throne room of God. He goes on with physical proof of his resurrected body. Look at verse 40. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. You've probably heard the saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably, what? Isn't. Okay? Okay. I believe that's what's going on with these guys. And they're, they're seeing Jesus standing there. He no way. This is like way too good to be true. Not only is he risen from the dead, but now he's standing here in our midst. And they're, they're just not connected. They're just blown away by this. At this point in time, it's not because of the doubt. I mean, he's showing that it's becoming very real to them. But I believe that they're absolutely overwhelmed. And so once again, and, oh, and I love the point too. He said, give me something to eat you know. So they gave him broiled fish and some honeycomb. I, I don't know if Jesus was really hungry or not, or if he just said, look, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I'm eating a fish. I'm, I'm, I'm eating a honeycomb. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. I'm standing before you. And he goes on to explain to them through the scriptures. Look what verse 44 tells us. And he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I believe that during this conversation, as Jesus once again gives this Bible study, whether it's the same one he gave to the guys at Emmaus, or if he's man just compounding scripture upon scripture, again, the truth, not only that the Messiah was coming, but that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise again as he's giving these scriptures to them, as he's going through that study with them. And these guys are becoming more and more aware of what's going on. It was sometime after that that we know that the guys finally made it to Galilee. You Remember what the angels told the women there at the tomb that morning. They said, tell my disciples to go forward up to Galilee because that's where I'm going to meet them. Well, right now they're still in Jerusalem. But one of the things that we do know that, man, Jesus was around for 40 days after his resurrection Somewhere in that time frame that Luke actually just kind of fast forwards through that entire 40 days, Jesus in his post-resurrection time, he has appearances to many people. He, does, he continues to do ministry. We find in, in the book of Acts that 40 days in his continued ministry. But Luke attests to the fact that Jesus was there for 40 more days after the resurrection, and he spent that time teaching the disciples, interacting with them off and on, showing them, in fact, that he had raised from the dead. And as the book of Acts, as Luke writes to us in the book of Acts chapter 1, he gave many infallible proofs, and he was seen by them for 40 days. I believe that's during probably the early portion of these 40 days when the guys finally do make it up to Galilee, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. John writes about this in his gospel record. Uh, You're probably right next to John right now if you're in Luke 24. Flip on over to John chapter 21, if you would. Here in John chapter 21, we read of Jesus appearing to the men after they had fished all night long. They caught absolutely nothing, and it was only after Jesus called out to them from the shore, told them to drop the net on the right side, And then when they did, they weren't able to draw it in because of the huge amount of the multitude of fish. Well, what had taken place here? During those 40 days, Jesus was not with the disciples all the time. They were kind of left on their own off and on. We don't know the entire uh, chronology of, of all of the things, how everything came into play. But we do know at one point in time... Peter with the disciples, they're up in Galilee, and he says, you know what, guys? I don't know what to do. I'm going to go fishing. And so the other guy said, well, we don't know what to do either. We're going to go fishing with you. So all the guys went out fishing. And they struggled all night to fish. And they caught absolutely zero. Zip, zilch, nada. They fished all night, caught nothing. And as they were coming in, uh, a, a single individual on the shoreline, Yells out, children, have you caught anything? No. Well, throw your nets on the right side. So they did. And as soon as it happened, as soon as their nets were filled with fish, Peter understood, that's the Lord. That's the Lord there. And he plunged into the sea, and he swam to the shore. They weren't that far, but he went ahead and swam ahead. He was so excited to see Jesus. And when they got to the shoreline there, Jesus already had a fire going. He said, hey, bring some of the fish that you caught. They had breakfast together. A couple of things in this that, that, man, comes to mind, and I won't spend a lot of time on this. One of the things that I always remember every time I read this, whenever I try to do something in my own strength and in my own abilities, in my own talents, in my own giftedness, you know what? It usually goes flatline. It usually goes flatline. But it's when the Lord calls and when the Lord instructs and when the Lord directs and I'm faithful to follow in what he says, then I see results. And sometimes, man, it's the overwhelming results like these guys with the net here. We don't know, man. We see God working in such a way. Why in the world would we ever try to do things in our own strength?
0: joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us.
2: We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is! We need your
1: support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially
2: supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu.
0: We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.